Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. There is one true living God, the God of the Bible. And it's only through scriptural truth, God's revelation from heaven, that we can make the right decisions. We need to understand, biblically speaking, our God gives choices to creation. And I say creation, I'm speaking about all of humanity, both Jew and Gentile. And in order to make the right decisions, the right choices, we must rely upon God's truth, his word, scripture. When we do so, we're going to find those wise decisions are going to have eternal consequences, which will bring us joy, that will bring us the promises of God, his blessings into our life again for eternity. But if we are foolish and we reject God's counsel, ignore his revelation, fail to apply scripture to our life, then likewise they're going to have eternal consequences. But this time they're going to be disastrous. They're going to be a source of sadness, sorrow, and suffering forever. So our decisions really amount to something. They matter greatly, so let's use God's word to make the godly decisions, ones that are honoring him and will be a blessing to us. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 50. Now in this 50th chapter of Isaiah, we're going to see that God uses a symbol. He speaks about his covenantal relationship with the children of Israel as a marriage. And we have to ask ourselves, is it a relationship, a literal marriage that meets all of the criteria of the Torah of God's revelation? And the answer is no, he's using it symbolically. And let me give you an example. We're going to come across a term. In modern Hebrew, we use a, a Yiddish term, get, which means a divorce decree. In the Bible, according to proper Hebrew, that term is sefer kritut. Sefer meaning a book or, in this case, a document. And the word kritut is coming from the Hebrew concept to cut, to cut apart. To, to disavow, to annul. So it's a, a document of annulment. Now, here's what we know according to the Torah. In a Torah marriage, if a man divorces a woman and she goes and is now with another, it is forbidden from the Torah for that woman to come and be reunited, enter into a marriage covenant again with that original husband the fact that she was divorced and she was with another terminates any possibility of of reconciliation to her first husband 
But in Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, God says that he's given to Israel a divorce decree, but in the next verse he says, but return unto me and I'll receive you. This would not be allowed according to a Torah wedding, a Torah marriage. But he's only using that concept symbolically of a covenant relationship that he has. God wants Israel to return. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is when we look now at Isaiah chapter 50, we're going to see that a divorce decree, that Hebrew term, sefer kritut, is mentioned. But here God is saying, you never literally get one. Although in Jeremiah, he speaks of this, but he does so in a symbolic way, symbolizing what's going to happen to Israel, and that's exile. But just like in Jeremiah chapter 3, he invites the people back to him to renew and be reconciled in this original covenant, he's also doing the same thing in Isaiah chapter 50. So look with me to verse 1. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 1, we read, Thus said the Lord, where is the sephirkritut, this divorce decrement of your mother? Now, your mother speaks about the children of Israel, but in the previous generation. So the exile prophetically has already happened. He's speaking to prophetically those who are in exile of that younger generation. Why? because it's time for them to leave Babylon and come back to Judah to renew this covenantal relationship and the promise of the land is still in force. So those who are replacement theologians who love to speak about this divorce decreement and say God can never renew his relationship with Israel again, that concept is, is destroyed. They do not know what they're speaking about. So again, prophetically, Isaiah is speaking of this in what's going to be God's thoughts and desires in a future time, in a few generations away, when he calls the people back out of Babylon. So he says, you know, where is this so-called divorce decree? Do you have it? Which she was sent away, meaning that previous generation, or where is... The, the, and the implication is the contract with my creditor, which I sold you to him, meaning this. We've talked about in the past this concept of what I would call biblical slavery, becoming a bondservant. A bondservant because you had a debt, you could not pay that debt, therefore you had to become an indentured servant for up to six years that's the maximum then you would go free not in the sixth year you would stay another year but you would not labor you would not work you were supported by your your master for that year then you would go free so a very important concept and sometimes it wasn't that the person had the debt and he was sold into slavery but he would take a child an adolescent and he would give that child to another family she or he would work there being a servant for again a limited amount of time and when the debt was paid off or the year 
of going free would come about, what would happen? Eventually it would return. But there was an agreement. And he's saying here, you know, to the creditor that you were supposedly sold to, where's this agreement? Did God have some agreement with Babylon? Absolutely not. All of this is poetic, symbolic language. And what God is saying is, there was not literally a divorce decreement. There was not a contract with a creditor. I didn't make an agreement with Babylon. He says, here's the simple problem. Keep reading. Behold, your iniquities cause you to be sold. It was in your transgressions that your mother was sent away. In other words, what brought this about was not some former agreement a contract but simply sinfulness your iniquity your transgression puts you in where the children of israel from isaiah's standpoint is going and that is to go into exile but after those 70 years and that's why i say this is prophetic he's speaking about a future event as though it's happening because he wants them to know even though you're going into exile ezekiel says god went with them that this relationship Although there was a breach, God never ultimately and totally forsook his people. And there was always that expectation that they would be reconciled and be brought back to the land. Now look at verse 2. In verse 2, we speak about God and his work of redemption. And many people see this 50th chapter, and we'll come to some examples of this, verses that speak to this that it's a messianic chapter. We're speaking about a servant, and the servant is mentioned, the suffering servant, and we're speaking about Messiah. And therefore, we're speaking even now future, in the time after Messiah, to a later generation. See, many times, what God says to the people in exile in Babylon 2,500 years ago, this is the same message he has for the Jewish people in the last days in the end times and he says look at verse 2 why simply the hebrew term madua why but it is to introduce a question a, a concept that he wants the people to consider he says i've come now again many scholars see this as referring to the work of messiah has already been done messiah's come but the people have not responded. He says, I have come, but there's no man, meaning no man received it. He says, I have called, but there was no answer. So he's speaking about in a general sense how Yeshua's coming was, for the most part, not totally, but from the most part, ignored by the Jewish people. His work of salvation, his work of redemption. And then he says, and he asks a question, you know, is the reason why you didn't respond is because you think I'm inadequate, that I'm not able? He says, do you think my hands are, are too short from, from redeeming? Literally, my hand is too short from redeeming? Or is it that, that you don't think that's in me the power to, to save, to rescue, to deliver? And then he says, but you need to think about this. When I have rebuked, in other words, when I have punished, he says, I've done things as I have dried up the sea and I have set rivers and made them to, be in a, to become a desert. 
And when I've done that, the fish, their fish of the rivers, they stunk. For there was no water, and it died in thirst. So God says, I think if you look at the history of my power to judge, you will find that I have great power to bring about change. I can dry up the waters, and I can restore. And this is what God is saying to the people that he's an able God. Verse 3. Now, in verse 3, he's speaking about something that, again, many Christian scholars see relating to the ministry of Messiah. Notice what it says in verse 3. I will clothe the heavens with, with gloom or darkness. The term here, kaderut, has to do with darkness. It also says, I will place sackcloth as their covering. So we see sackcloth, obviously an image of repentance, and the clouds or the sky becoming dark. Many people see this as referring to the time when Messiah was on the cross. We know that, that from the sixth hour, which was noontime, until the ninth hour, which was three in the afternoon, darkness covered the entire world. And that darkness was for the purpose of saying repentance is being done. That's why Messiah is on the cross. And secondly, remember the term sack, meaning sackcloth for repentance? Because of that, it's a call to repentance. But unfortunately, again, the people did not, for the most part, respond. Now look at verse 4. In verse 4, we begin to speak more clearly about that suffering servant. Him suffering and the, the choice that people must make concerning him. Look at verse 4. My Lord God has given to me a tongue for speaking. Now, this tongue for speaking is one that has been trained, one that has been learned, and it's with the knowledge to speak, to speak at the right time. The word le'ut comes from a timing, the, the understanding the signs in order to speak to the wary ones, a word that is going to stir them up or cause them to be renewed. And he says, in the morning and morning, meaning each and every morning, it was stirred of me, meaning that, that he was committed to this stirring up, stirring up of the people. He was given an ear to hear as learned ones, meaning this. This one who's going to speak is trained, he is prepared to speak encouragement to those who are, are weary, who are worn out. Now, the context has already been established. Remember when he says, it's your iniquity and your transgressions. They are burdened down because of sin. And this one is learned, he is trained, and he is coming at the right time, the term le'ut, the right time, and he's going to speak words of encouragement. Now, the concept, as I said, has already been established. When God speaks in verse 1 saying, hey, it's not over. You can be reconciled. There's a time of renewal and there's one who's been trained, meaning is appropriate to lead this, this return, this redemption that he spoke of in verse 2. Now look at verse, verse 5. 
He says again, Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, my Lord God, open for me an ear. Meaning this, he has heard. When he says, open for me a hear, ear, the implication is, I have heard. And he's speaking here about the call upon his life. Again, many people see this as messianic, and I don't disagree with that. That it's a reference to us understanding Messiah. And he's saying, Messiah has said, God, you have opened for me an ear. I understand my call. And furthermore, he says, Ve lo mariti. I am not going to rebel against it. I'm not going to move away from it. I'm not going to, to uh, withdraw. I'm not going to, to retreat from it. Meaning in verse 5, he's heard what he's supposed to do and he's committed to do it. He's not going to turn away from God's call. Verse 6. Now, because we're speaking about the servant in Isaiah, we know something. He is a suffering servant. Is he willing to suffer or is he going to move away from that suffering? Well, he's already said, I'm not going to move away. I'm not going to be rebellious against that. He says, look at our text, verse, verse 6, my back I have set to ones who strike me. So the ones who are, are beating his back could be a reference to him being flogged. He says, I put my back to the ones who are beating me and my cheeks to the one who, and this is pulling out the beard. Now, there is no New Testament reference for someone pulling out the beard of Messiah. But it was common, if you look, this was a common practice in order to shame, and it was a form of torture as well. And Messiah was indeed, we know, and we keep reading, not only was uh, the beard could be pulled out, but it also says, um, the whole word, my cheeks to the ones who pluck out my face, meaning the hair on my face, meaning the beard. He says, I will not hide from their, their disgracing of me. I'm not going to, to run away from being disgraced, being shamed, and rope is spit. So the scripture does speak about them wanting to humiliate him, and they spit upon him. This would tell us that he also suffered his beard being pulled out, a very painful uh, experience. Messiah endured that. That's what it's saying. He did not turn away from that. Verse, verse 7. Again, Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, could be my Lord God, help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Now, this is, many scholars see this term, help me, referring to the resurrection. The change from being shamed on the cross, that humiliation of being stripped naked, being crucified and hung up publicly and, and that shame, well, it all changed when? With the resurrection. And some people see this term, O Lord God, help me, referring to that. Therefore, I will not be, be shamed. Therefore, I will put my face as a flint. Now, this is a stone, a flint stone, meaning that he's going to be determined he's not going to turn away from what he has to go through. He says, for I have known that I will not be ashamed. Well, we know 
It says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, let this mind be in you that was also in Messiah Yeshua. That even though he is God, fully God, did not a think deity was a thing to grasp. Why? Because he was divine. He was God. Even though he humbled himself, humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. But because of that, God gave him the name above all names, that the name of Lord Yeshua, that every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow. This is what he's referring to here when he says at the end of verse 7, Va eda ki lo evosh, I will not, I know that I will not be shamed or humiliated. Verse 8, for close is my, and this is one, justifier, the one who shows what is righteous. And he's saying, I know that's close. And here again, what is he referring to? The work of the resurrection. This justified Yeshua, when God raised him from the dead, it was a statement that God the Father was approving everything that Yeshua did in his three and a half years of, of ministry. So he says, close is my justifier. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. If there's someone that wants to, to make a charge against Yeshua, he says, let him stand together with me. And who is the one who has, has ownership of some charges that are against me? Let him serve them, meaning let him present them. If there's anything in me that's unrighteous, let him charge that publicly. This is what Messiah is saying. It's all to show that he was the righteous Savior, that he was fully justified. Verse 9, Behold, Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, he will help me. For who is the one who will condemn me? Meaning this, even though Yeshua was condemned on judgment, judgment day, is there going to be someone that, that brings charges, someone who's going to condemn Yeshua? Obviously, no. Again, the resurrection is the best example that what Messiah did was fully received by his father the resurrection is god's stamp of approval that the work of the cross was perfected it was perfect it was completed exactly as it was called to do he says those who would want to condemn him he says all of them are like a a garment that that is worn out as one that a moth has has eaten them eaten such garments Verse 10, who among you? Now it gets to what I talked about earlier about the necessity of making a choice. This is where we're going to. What choice are you going to make in relate to this suffering servant, Messiah Yeshua? So he says, look at verse 10, who among you fears the Lord? And what is the proof that you fear the Lord? Well, it tells us. You listen to the voice of his servant. Meaning this, it's the same language that we see back in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is speaking and he says, uh, uh, God is going to raise up another one like me. Listen to this one. Now, 
one like me, Moses is seen as the first redeemer, bringing the people out of Egypt, that bondage, and into the promised land. That was the call upon Moses. Messiah is going to bring us, like Moses, out of bondage, but he's going to bring us out of the bondage of sin and into the promised kingdom. So he says, look again at verse 10, who among you has the fear of the Lord? This one who does, he will listen to the voice of his servant. Who's the servant? Messiah Yeshua. And it says, who? It says, walked in darkness and there was no light to him. Now it's talking about the one who is trusting, the one who has the fear of the Lord. How is that, that demonstrated? Well, it says, here's how it's demonstrated. He walks in darkness. There's no light to him. So what does he do? He trusts in the name of the Lord. He has relied upon his God. Now, this is important because what it says is this. When you have fear of the Lord, you, that fear of the Lord, is going to cause you to listen to the servant of God, Messiah Yeshua. And you, even though you are in this world, a world of darkness, and there's no light, there's no physical light. So what do you do? You walk in faith. You trust. This is what he says. Look again. The word noga is a strong light. He has no strength, no strong light. But what does he do? Yiftach b'shem Adonai. He will trust in the name of the Lord. He will rely on his God. Now, what's wonderful is this. This is poetry. So much of prophecy is actually Hebrew poetry. And what's the chief characteristic of Hebrew poetry? Parallelism. And what we find here is this. Listening to the servant of God is literally relying upon God himself. This is what it's trying to teach us. Last verse, verse 11. He said, now, this is one choice, that you can listen to a servant, and even though you're in darkness in this world, you trust and you rely upon him. That's one choice. Here's the other one. Verse 11 speaks about a foolish choice, one that is going to bring upon you shame and eternal condemnation that pain and suffering and sadness forever. What is that? In light of God's servant, the vast majority of people, they don't listen to him. They make the wrong decision. Behold, all of you, what do you do? You are kindlers of light. You, you hold on to the sparks, meaning your own light. You make for yourself what you believe is revelation. You kindle, you don't accept the revelation of God, his truth. You kindle your own fire, so to speak, and walk in your own light. And what he says here, go in the light of your fire. Go ahead. If you don't want God's truth, he says, you go ahead and walk in the light of your own fire in the sparks that you have burned. And what's going to happen for one who does such a thing? He tells us, from my hand, this is a thus. This will be. This is going to be the outcome of one who chooses to walk in his own revelation, in his own light, in his own understanding. 
it says, to you all, to such a group that makes that decision, there's going to be matzeva. What is that? It comes from the Hebrew word etzev or atzuv, meaning sorrow or sadness. So what are they going to have? They are going to lie down, that's the last word, in sorrow, he says, they, you will lie down, makes it personal. So in sorrow and sadness, you will lie down. This expression, lying down, has to do with death. Being laid down, meaning being put to death, you will die in eternal sorrow and sadness. So the choice is really simple to understand. The choice is this. Even though we are living in a dark world, a world of, of sinfulness and transgression, God speaks a word of redemption. God speaks for us to return unto him and be reconciled. And if we listen to God, we're going to obey his servant. Who's that? This is a messianic passage, Messiah Yeshua. We are going to trust in him. We are going to walk relying upon our God. Who's our God? Messiah. You can reject that. You have the free will to do that. You can make a foolish choice and you can kindle your own revelation, your own light. You can have your own torch that you make and you go in the direction of your own light. That's one who says, I follow my truth. No, there's not your truth. There's only the truth of God. People set that aside and say, this is my truth. And it leads to dying and experiencing after death, eternal sorrow and sadness. The choice couldn't be clearer. Be faithful, accept Messiah, or reject that. Make it your own way. Rely upon your own understanding. And when you're doing this, realize you're choosing eternal sadness, sorrow, and suffering. This is what Isaiah is laying out in this 50th chapter. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.